1993, John, Helen, and the rest of their family lost their sister Marilyn to a violent act of crime. After much spiritual searching, John was led to participate in a pilot prison program called Sycamore Tree, where crime victims went into prisons and shared their stories. John was profoundly changed by this experience, which not only enhanced his own healing, but powerfully impacted the inmates as well. Wanting to extend this experience to other crime victims and offenders, John founded Bridges to Life. Today on The Balanced Voice, we sit down with John Sage and his sister Helen Perry to talk about their sister, how violent crime affected their family, and John's successful prison program, Bridges to Life. To date, Bridges to Life has successfully graduated over 77,000 men and women and continues to be a leading prison program nationwide. We're thrilled to welcome John and Helen today. This is The Balanced Voice. Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Balanced Voice podcast. We are so thrilled, of course, to have our co-host, Jennifer Homan. Hi, Jen. Hi. How are you? I'm I'm here. I'm happy. I'm excited. I'm super excited to uh, be with Miss Helen today. I know Jen, you coordinated this podcast, and we were so excited when you thought of it. Um, we're joined by our our special guest, uh, John Sage and Helen Perry. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here, Helen. You and I go back, gosh, forever. Um, but your connection to the organization, of course, starts from a from a really difficult time. And I just want to dive right in. Um, your sister was tragically, you and John, your sister Marilyn was tragically killed in 1993 by two young individuals, um, brutally murdered. And uh, that sort of set you on a path that introduced you to Crime Stoppers. And, and John, we're going to get into what, how that's reshaped your life in a minute. But can we just start? that day. Can you take us to that day, you know, walk us through what a day like that is like for the surviving family? It was a day like any other day. Um, went to a movie. Um, and let me clarify that John is my brother, that there were eight children in our family. I'm Helen Sage Perry. And uh, Marilyn was the fifth. John's the fourth of the eight. And I'm the seventh all real tight. And growing up, Marilyn was like um, a surrogate mom to me and, of course, best friend to John. And um, we kept in touch a lot. She was here in Houston. We were both single moms raising our kids and helping each other out a lot. Um, I'd gone to a movie with a friend and we took my son and we dropped him off and went back to my friend's house to get my car. and. At that time, I had a pager. It was 93. Uh, called my kids and they said, call Frances, John's wife. And I called and she was just hysterical. Marilyn's dead. Marilyn's, and it was so surreal. I, I, she can't be. She can't be. I just talked to her. I need to talk to her again. I, and um, the trauma, I guess, of the first, you know, you'll just never forget the voice You'll never forget the call. There's, I've been through a lot in my life. I've raised three boys. I've had a business for 40 years. Um, lost people that meant a lot to me, but nothing has impacted me the way Marilyn's death did. Um, it was so heinous, so unconscionable. Um, so we went to her apartment 
immediately and there was a crowd of us out there it was you know june 30th it was a very warm summer night and um lots of police cars um watched the body be taken out um we had no idea who it was it was really scary for me i didn't know if i was next i looked like her i um it was shocking it was um traumatic to say the least yeah i can't add a whole lot to that same sentiments it just uh i remember going over there to the first is disbelief of course i got a phone call coming home from a meeting my wife i mean phone calls from my wife and anyway uh disbelief go to the crime scene there's yellow tape all around the crime scene you know policemen there and detectives and i remember being in the hallway they wouldn't let us go in the apartment but in the hallway and this policeman said there's uh five or six knives on the floor and i think they stabbed her with a couple of knives they brought a little bitty knife in stabbed her with a butcher knife and another knife so it was sort of a surreal uh they started asking me questions and things like that but it it's just a fog you, you wake up every day for a long time and you say was this a bad dream uh, or did this really happen so it, it took i mean you knew it was real but it probably took a month for it to really sink in and i i can't tell you the the range of emotions there everyone you can think of uh rage <laughs> rage particularly and just the violation and the horrific nature was escalated way beyond us if she had been killed in a traffic accident or something like that i mean the results the same but the way thing the way it happened is just horrible so so you mentioned you know she was a single mom uh, how many children does marilyn have two hey. what was that like did y'all go gather them from school or how do you how do you even communicate that and and well, what was your thinking of of how you how you work with the kids well, I can kind of add to that. Uh, her daughter uh, came home and uh, she, she was 18. 18, just got out of, graduated from Lamar High School and she was trying to page her mom. She lived in one end of the apartment, her bedroom. She went there. She called my mother up, her grandmother, they called my mama and said, Have you heard from mom? I'm looking for her. She's not answering a pager and this, that, and the other car's not out there and, and then my mother got a call within a minute her screaming Kelly literally walked down the hall and stepped in her mother's blood that's how she, mm. she found the body and uh it was kind of half she was wrapped in a comforter a white comforter yeah, and she, she saw Marilyn's ponytail plastic cleaning bag around her face after they'd stabbed her that was the horror of it but so anyway that's 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 one and she was the, the 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 she was walking around like somebody said she was like a person in a plane crash where 200 people died she was the only survivor i mean it was that you can imagine i mean this little girl's a young girl young lady you know she was fixing to go to college and all that and here this happens and her son was up in uh, michigan He's an actor in, in college. He had a scholarship to SMU acting school, Bob Hope acting school. And he, he was up there doing a summer series. So I don't know how, who, I guess his daddy called him. I'm not sure Helen who called him, but uh, it's, it's it was a, a rough flight home. I can tell you that. 
Well, it's a it's a lifetime impact upon on some degree on all of us, but on our kids, uh, it's life. It's a, it's a lifetime impact. It changes generations, and so it's a horrible, horrible thing to happen. It changes the way you look at everything. You know the way you appreciate things, your empathy for other people, um, your want, your desire to want to right the wrongs, which John has. I mean, Bridges to Life, his nonprofit, which we'll get to, is some people say they're going to change the world. This really has. And it all came, it's God's grace of how he could take something so tragic and turn it to his good for literally tens of thousands of people. Probably if you think of the ripple effect of all the graduates in Bridges to Life, their families and all hundreds of thousands. And Helen, I want so, I do want to get to Bridges Bridges to Life in a second, but I just want to quickly fill this spot in what happened to Marilyn. Why was she targeted? And I know we've talked about it in the past, but for those that do not know, she was a realtor. But why was she targeted? What was it? A crime gone wrong? A theft gone wrong? A, a domestic violence situation? I mean, I know I know the answer, but just just fill the the audience in. They just wanted a car, and they looked for a single woman alone to steal it. She was unloading her car. She'd been to the Tootsie's half of half sale that we loved. And she bought some clothes and she took the first load in. And like we do, we leave the door unlocked to go get the second load. They saw the trunk open. So when she went out for the second load, they got in that open door and pounced her like a pack of jackals, as our DA said in the trial. Um, when she returned with the second load and she apparently in the confession we we learned that she said please don't kill me i have two kids she begged for her life she said and she had just bought this car it was the first new car she'd had since college she said you can have anything in here but you can't have these keys and we learned later that in their planning they wanted a, to steal a car to go to bay city to some party and that they would kill to do it well interestingly enough the the person that called crime stoppers testified and what i think the sentence he said was they said we're going to find a skinny woman and do whatever we have to to her and steal her car and go to bay city but it was the person that called crime stoppers that broke this case uh, and they did it uh within Less than 48, 48 hours. hours. They, they so somebody up. called into the tip line and within 48 hours, yeah. they had the, the suspect identified. Wow. Yes, they, yeah, she got killed on Wednesday evening about, we think, four or five o'clock. And by Saturday morning at seven o'clock, they had gone to Bay City Friday night and brought them back during the night and uh, in, inquired, you know, had uh, inquiries and got one of them to confess and do it. Uh, verbally, and they played the tape of the male. There was a male killer and a female, both of them participatory in the act. Jen, I want to toss it to you, but before I do, I quickly want to just note of the two suspects arrested, uh, the female sits on death row. She was 20 at the time of the crime. Um, and the other, the gentleman has died in court, uh, died in, in prison from AIDS, uh, but the female is still on death row. Jen, you were going to ask a question. 
Yeah. Before we get, get to Bridges of Life, um, which is how my sister told me about you, um, t- tell us about Marilyn. Tell us about her personality. You know, we, Ronnie and I have siblings. Uh, you know, I have two sisters and, and Ronya has a sister and we are, cherish and adore them. So tell us what, what was her personality like? I think people need to hear who she was. Unforgettable. One in a million. She could walk in a room and everybody looked. She was so beautiful and fun. She could make going to the grocery store fun. Um, She... <laughs> You know, she was single. She might have a date for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and maybe she had more people just wanting to be around her. We played pranks together. She would take me everywhere. She put her arm around me. This is my little sister. Helen, you need to go meet so-and-so. And she would, she was an incurable matchmaker. She fixed up Johnny with his wife. Um Johnny, you know, her last words to Johnny were, Johnny, you're the best. And she just adored him. And uh, my kids called her Auntie M. And they would call her every morning early and say, can you come to lunch with me? And everybody in the lunchroom at Second Baptist knew her. Auntie M's here. Auntie M's here. She would go to their games. She would go to their... One morning, I had a, a speech at a breakfast club, and Holden had to go with his dog to show it was bring your pet day and I'll never forget I lived across the street from the school and I was driving off and there she was with that dog with Holden you know because I couldn't go and she good luck she was your greatest cheerleader yeah that's a great summary over a couple of things she was a character uh, in high school she was in a big assembly with 700 females at St. Agnes Academy and the speaker was speaking and there was light coming through these windows and she got this makeup mirror where you could hit off the sunlight and she popped the guy in the eye with the, with the light. And, you know, the guy said, he don't know where it's coming from. And she did that several times. So that's kind of a, one of the stories. My uh, She'd get in trouble a little bit. My, my mother would go out to meetings, you know, where they had big groups come out there and she said she'd hide behind the pillars because she was afraid the principal was going to come up to her and tell her all the things that Marilyn got oh. in trouble for her. So uh, she was a, a character, uh, to say the least, but she did have a lot of fun. She she literally would light up a room. Uh, you know, a friend of mine saw her on Buffalo Speedway within two weeks before she got killed. He, he said he pulled up at a stoplight. He looked at her, and there she was in that red lipstick smile. That she knew him. I mean, it just she's just uh, a person that knew a lot of people. She she had uh, went to the funeral. They thought some uh, political character. Dignitary. Yeah, there was, uh, I think that the, the church held 1,500. There were people in the aisles, people in the back. It was jam-packed, and it was on a July 4th weekend, or there would have been more there. So it, uh, she had, she had a, a tax, I think 30-something people called the office and said that she was their best friend the week after she died. And so she was just one of those people that made, made you feel special. Everybody feels special. And we, we were really close. I mean, the fact she introduced me to my my uh, wife, she came home. I was a sophomore in high school, and she said, Johnny, there's these two beautiful girls. One's a blonde, one's a brunette. Would you go out with them? Of course, I didn't have much problem with that. And uh <laughs> went out with the blonde five or six times, and I, I'm that was 60 years ago. I'm still going out with the brunette. So 
<laughs> uh, we, we dated. I love that the brunette won, actually, with yeah, the three the brunette, brunettes yeah. on the ball. <laughs> there you go, Johnny. You know how to pick them, Johnny. Yeah. I love I that. So uh anyway, she it's 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 really you can't you can't imagine putting words the impact of uh us when she went down like that and the way that it happened and all was just the brutality. Yeah, it it just a stranger. I mean, just yeah. kill someone and then and you know they they didn't really care. They had no remorse whatsoever. The only remorse the guy had was they didn't clean the fingerprints off the car better. They found the car and then they found them at a motel near there. Uh, so they had a it was Maryland's car, so they had the license plate and all. But you know, so, so was the big big help. I mean, it was the catalyst. It's so amazing, and for Andy Condo, remember this case and be involved. I think that's a treasure that that he's able to provide that and remember this case. So he's so good at that. And I want to I want to go to Bridges of Life. You know, the way that that this I, I asked Ronnie if we could have you on the podcast is my sister um, loves Helen and and is planning her her upcoming nuptials and and she met you Helen and she said Jen I've met the most like magnetic woman ever and you have to hear the story and. And and she told it to me because I do a lot of work in the anti-trafficking space. And I've always said to myself that I, when people ask, what do we do with the traffickers? I'm like, well, all I've got is a bullet for the trafficker. I mean, I, the criminal or the perpetrator in the, in the past, I've just been like, I have no mercy. And so my sister said, I, you know, I think God, you need to soften your heart uh, because they have, you know, trauma and, and they're God's children too. And so Helen, she brought up your name and, and, and what y'all are doing with Bridges to Life. And I find, and I want you all to explain it because I find that it's such humility, such God's love in what you're doing to show grace and mercy to people that have hurt and traumatized so many people. So please tell us, John and, and Helen, about Bridges to Life. Well, first, we say we're, we're not advocates of being soft on crime. We are advocates of that people can change and trying to impact their heart to develop some empathy. When I first did a first volunteer pilot project before Bridge to Life, I, I couldn't believe the uh, lack of empathy uh, within those people's hearts. And they just really didn't care. They And, and uh, St. Augustine said, the more you understand, the more you forgive. And when you learn to understand their backgrounds and where they came from and how they were treated as kids, it never excuses the crime, but you understand how they got there. And uh, it allows you to sit with them and listen and so our program is the most unique thing. A couple of, is victim impact. Uh, we've had close to four thousand volunteers since we started twenty five years ago. We we currently have six hundred and fifty. We were up to close to a thousand before the pandemic. We're rebuilding, but about a third of them have had a crime dramatically impact their lives. So victim it started off as a victim impact and was written the curriculum everything from a victim standpoint. How does crime hurt people? What does that do to people? And so we have a saying, there's no such thing as a victimless crime, even a drug dealer, whatever. And so we 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 create that atmosphere and that space and we we meet in confidential circles. Uh, when I first started, the wardens would say, there's no such thing as a confidential conversation with convicts. Boy, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, it's almost like that. The world's changed a lot. Unfortunately, the, the system has changed a lot in the 25 years and what we were doing was pioneering, so nobody really had heard of it. And I had some people that are very knowledgeable and experienced say, you know, you bring all those victims in, bring all those volunteers. And, I don't know, John, I don't know if that's going to work or not. And 
I had a, a real top level advisor to Chuck Colson who knew a lot about prison mission. He said, well, it's, uh, it's therapeutic, but it's not transformational. I said, that was early on. I said, sir, I, uh, you know a lot more about this than I do, but I, I'm see, I'm watching people transform, not all of them. But and so anyway, that was our take. We a couple other unique things were the only program that requires a talk about their crime and take responsibility for it. And that's that. a big, that's a big issue. Uh, and many of them come back. I saw some that have been at years, years. They say, you know what? It made me think about who I hurt. And, and we talk about the ripple effect of crime and how many people they hurt and and we, it took 10 years to develop, fully develop our curriculum. We have a, a book and a study guide, and they do about two hours homework a week. We meet one uh, once a week for 14 weeks, uh, 14, 14 meetings, and each has a topic. And they do about two hours homework before they come. That's a that's kind of an overview. I know we... Uh, and it's, it's a volunteer, just quick, these, these prisoners volunteer to take this course for the most part now they have what they call a i-60 that you send to the chaplain to it's a it's an internal memo in prison and they call it drop an i-60 and sometimes people other people drop an i-60 and 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 they get they get what's called a lay-in kind of like a hall pass go show up at this meeting and and but most of them they're curious they're they kind of curious to be around people uh, they come for various reasons, uh, getting air conditioned. Most of our meetings are air conditioned. Uh, it, it does help their packet for parole to take any program. The Bridges Life has kind of grown to be one that's noticed the most or as much as any. Uh, so there's various reasons they come, but they do, they can quit any time. Uh, we lose about 20% from the start of the project to the end average. But most, maybe only a five percent or a fourth of those actually quit. There's a, prisons, there's a lot of transfers. There's a lot of movement. There's a lot of discipline. There's, it's a good, it's a good attrition, a low attrition rate for prison. So we work on that real hard. Okay. Let me just say, I, I've been in oh, these prisons oh, yeah. uh, and visited with John. And as a woman, you're nervous. You know, in the beginning, it was all men. Of course, now they see women and juveniles. And, you know, it's grown over. 25 years to seven countries and 17 states. And I believe we've had over 80,000 graduates, John. Yeah, we will by the end of the year, right at 80,000. So it's very large. So I first I went to a graduation and I was a little nervous. They said, dress modestly and you, you must go through a security check and uh, you leave your cell phone and and I'd never been in a prison, and I, I really think everybody should visit at least once. It's um, very humbling, very sobering. But there is a difference in the offenders that are in Bridges to Life. They don't glare at you. They don't, you know, the general population, I could sense a difference in their spirit. And um, their stories that someone would come in there and listen to them and I remember a story about on Father's Day, they put out cards for the offenders to send and then no cards were gone. They didn't know where their fathers were. On Mother's Day, they send the Mother's Day cards. But um, it could, you know, I've done things, ran a red light or I could be caught for something. Not, not. Uh, and most of these guys are drug and alcohol offenders. I don't think Bridges to Life sees the rapists and the murders right john oh lots of murders uh 
We and bridges we to a, life. Oh yeah, we have many. Oh, many, but that was many. the original. I've, I've sat right next to them, and uh, there, uh, there is a limit. There's been a limitation on sex offenders, generally speaking, for the system's reason. But we we have special programs, sex offender treatment programs in five prisons, and we work with sex offenders there. So there could be rapists, child molesters, whatever in there. But as far as the, the level of the crime. Uh, there are some prisons, which you might have been thinking about, where my wife went mostly, where there was no murders. It was low level. But we meet with uh, all all levels of prison, all all crimes. In fact, the ones that commit violent crimes are actually, we, we see more movement with that. They, they they break down and have deep remorse, and they're carrying that and yeah. forgive themselves. Um, what, so. When you're sitting next to these people, what do you feel? I mean, I know that in reading your story, I know the whole family endured, as it should, unspeakable trauma. And even Kelly, Marilyn's daughter, who did find her, you know, went to college as she was supposed to and, and endured a lot, but eventually ended up being a psychotherapist, I believe, or a therapist that deals with trauma, mm -hmm. a psychologist that deals with trauma. And here you are, Bridges to Life. But how do you creating Bridges to Life and, and doing the service you're doing, but where does that come from? That well, you we first, had an amazing mom. We, yeah, we had well, an amazing mom that expected us to leave the world a better place. Well, and, and we were fortunate to have, uh, I had Christian education from first, you know, first through 12th grade, it was Catholic school, but Christian education, which gave us a foundation. Somebody said, did they asked me if the, if, if, the, if the Catholic Church was helpful in when I was in that valley, and I said, well, uh, they taught me where to go when I was in trouble, but I think any Christian religion can teach you that. So that that was helpful. Uh, when I first went in, yeah, I was uncomfortable with them, but as you learn to sit there and talk to them, everybody's a human being. They all bleed red if you cut them. I mean, they have backgrounds and families, and once you open up and become transparent and they do – they start to do that. You don't really feel any discomfort at all. I, I it for a while the first year when I we did men's prisons first year only, and I'd go home. I'd have a trouble going to sleep, and I got to where I could not take that home. I, I will tell you, there was never a time when I worked in female prisons, sat next to female circles. I I couldn't leave that there. The the horror. They they're so victimized themselves. They could be victims in our program. In fact, one of the keys with women is I tell them if you've got to learn to get out of the victim mental state, or you come back here because they, they're so angry, righteous anger. They feel like they can do anything to anybody, particularly men. And the things that have been done to them are almost unspeakable. But I, I just so we, we, we do a lot of women prisoners. Nine percent of the prison population in Texas is women, but 15 percent of our graduates are women. So not by design. We just ended up. So we work with uh, men and women. We've done some work with juveniles. That's that's difficult because they're bulletproof and they're. You got to be a little bit broken to to get the benefit out of this. Uh, the the, mm. the Ernest Hemingway quote that was really a driving thing for me when I first started was the the quote: "The world breaks everyone, and afterwards, some are strong with the broken places." I, I felt broken, and I was in a journey and to to find how could I be strong at the broken place? And this work ended up, you know, I mean, one of the keys is helping others, period, whatever. 
But going back to meet with the type of people that kill people and kill my sister was healing. And that's where we're a dual ministry for both crime victims and victims. And our, our, our secular mission is to reduce the number coming back. It's a little more wordy than that. But our spiritual mission is to show victims of crime and offenders the, the uh, transforming power of God's love and forgiveness. And so that's, that's how it started. Thank you to our sponsor, Fliplock, for making this episode possible. Fliplock is a door lock unlike any other lock that was created as a nationwide, straightforward solution to protect your people, whether that be in universities, dorms, daycares, hospitals, or even government buildings. It can be added to nearly any door to keep you and yours safe. We are proud to have such a strong and like-minded sponsor of the Balanced Voice podcast. Check out Fliplock at fliplock.com. That's F-L-I-P-L-O-K.com. I I have two questions. One is, did any, when you were starting this, did anyone in the family look at you and say, what are you doing? Why, you know, why, why would you go to that? Was anybody opposed to it? That's my first question. My second question is, did you ever meet with your sister's perpetrators? Uh, There was some uh, question of, I think there was some thought, I didn't have any confrontation with anybody, that I was just acting out on the trauma, which was understandable. Uh, interestingly, my mother was kind of an old-fashioned Irish Catholic, and she understood it from the first minute. I mean, she, I mean, right away, she she understand it was something that I had a passion for that, for lack of a better word, called to do, uh, which I believe that. And I was very affirming for her to grasp it and I, I i don't know i didn't go around asking all of them but uh they they uh they've all been very supportive in this work uh the second question about meeting i was supposed to meet with james dickerson the male killer and he uh was in the process there's a process that the texas department of criminal justice victim services has we were in the process of that they had met with him and he died so that didn't happen uh, I have made efforts to meet with Erica Shepard, and they've seen her. I've had several people go see her over the years, and uh, she finally was uh, she finally was agreeable to meet with them. And then, uh, bottom line, she she won't take enough responsibility to make the meeting viable at this point. It could happen in the future. I mean, if if you go in there and say, you know, you say I forgive, I don't forgive what you did, but I forgive you. And she's likely to say, for what? You know, I mean, it's you sit in a cell for 30 years, you can dream up all kinds of stories, and she's got all kind of information that never came out at trial. It's not true. So I I don't comment on uh, as far as the support. Well, all my life I've been John Sage's little sister. So you know, we used to tease my dad. He was an all-American tackle at LSU. He played against Archie Manning. And we would tease my dad that out of eight kids, he had one. So, you know, he didn't mess with Johnny. Um, Um, We thought it was fabulous. We thought it was amazing from the get-go. And uh, we all leaned on our faith so much. And um, it's it's just truly uh, another example of God's grace and how he can take a situation and bring it to something beyond your imagination. Um, He's so big, he's limitless. And 
this will live on long after we're gone. And um, I'm hoping more young people get involved. My son, Will Perry's on the board and active. And um, I just um, am really, every year I go to the Bridges to Life luncheon, it was last week, the 25th anniversary. And um, every year I say this was the best one. And last week probably was, I mean, to hear, uh, a volunteer speak from her perspective, a graduate speak from his perspective. Uh, it, it's, um, uh, you just, you can't describe it. You, you just gotta go. And what goes on in those rooms and those 14 sessions is quite amazing. And, um, and it's healing for, for victims to look at these human beings that, We've just placed a, you know, we think they're animals. We think they're um, just psychos. And it softens your heart. Yeah, I might say one thing that could be helpful to people. Uh, I must ask the question, why, a thousand times to God or myself or my mind, why? It, I had this mental picture of the scale of justice and one side being positive, one negative. I said, Lord, there's this big boulder on the negative side. And I don't have a grain of sand to put on the positive side. This is prior bridges to life. And it just didn't make any sense to me. And finally, after several years, it was kind of a whisper. I said, you're, you got to stop asking that question. Why you're never going to get the answer in this world. And I think that's when I started advancing my healing because it's you sit there and you say why wow, there's so many things in this world even right now you just turn on the news it you can't get the answer why so for those of people out there that are going through this kind of trauma i know it's natural but uh stop asking that and 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 at the bottom line is faith is the only thing that really pulled me out of this uh i was in a pretty tough place mentally and just for several years and uh, kind of floundering to tell you the truth he he didn't look like himself he lost what did he lose about 30 pounds in six weeks and yeah yeah it was, it was not good i was yeah i was uh 45 and i looked like i do now at 75 so anyway not, but i'm saying it was uh, but it, it 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 came out i mean you know what is it? What they say? What won't kill you will make you stronger. But it was not something I would like to go through again. Or I hope none of people watching this go through that. It's a, it's beyond uh, description in a way uh, because of the, you know, somebody that close to you and the brutality and someone you love. You read about it in the papers and you say it's horrible, but boy, when it gets close close to home, is that it? And it does give you empathy for other people that it happens to and compassion. It increases your compassion quite a bit to go through something like that. And and the word compassion comes from Latin to suffer with. And uh, so it, it 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 changed me as a person, not not you know, not a hundred percent, but it changed my heart quite a bit. And for the better, although I'd rather go back to Wet and have Maryland back. <laughs> but that's just you don't have that you don't have that choice, you know. Once once it happens, it happens. So we I'd like to to say to people who are hurting that God will never leave you. Don't trust your feelings. Feelings are fickle. Cling to your faith, lean in, and it's it may not come as soon as you want, 
but day after day after day, just press in and it, he, he, he can, and he will use it for good. You, you might not see it now, but it's there. Yeah. And get, so, go out and help somebody else. I was a soup kitchen or clothing or whatever, somebody on the street, whatever, get, get out of yourself and go help somebody else. It's real hard to do when you're in that state, but that's the best cure part of it. Yeah. It's kind of like your bridge to life. John was was giving other people bridges and yes. and 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 giving those that are unexpected that you would the, the ones that you don't think deserve it. So I, I find that I find that really hard to do. I mean, I, you know, Ronnie and I lost our dads this year and and there's nobody to blame, but just health and, and aging and getting older. But you just want to be so mad. And and I agree, you kind of have to get to the point where you're just like, I can't keep asking why and I can't be mad. I just have to move on and and find the positives and that bridge back to life again. Yeah, that's kind of where the name came from. I got an opportunity to be with Sister Helen Prejean right before I started Bridge to Life and took her out to the prison to speak. And she said, she talked about the uh, Gospel of John where the it says there's there's true life, you know, full life. She said they're all kind of half lives. Full life, she gave a talk. So I'm sitting there thinking that. And then I, I went up to New England that fall and saw all these covered bridges. And I, it just the vision came in and then a friend of mine in the advertising business sat down with me and he, he, he helped me sat on the name and he, he pro bono, uh, designed a logo for us that it, it was a year. Beautiful later. logo. It, yeah. It's a beautiful logo. But you know, when you, when you pro bono, you can't, you can't uh, make much, uh, <laughs> man's on time. It took a year is what I'm saying. But it anyway, looks like a Picasso. It's, it's really beautiful. It's got the green and the yellow and the red. And yeah. It's very meaningful. Beautiful. Yeah, the colors have meaning. Uh, it's a bridge, and the red represents anger. The purple bridge is repentance, change. Uh, the uh, green is peace, and then there's a light, a sun, kind of God's light holding up. Yellow. The so it's it's a, and it, it looks good in color. It looks even okay in black and white. So uh, anyway, that's y'all kind of heard the gist of the story. There's lots of stories behind it all. I, I stood up at the luncheon the anniversary and. Really, I thought about it and I said, look, it, it could talk about all kinds of stories and things, but I, I can summarize in two words. I just say praise God because it's been a God-engineered, uh, blessed program. I still believe my sister Marilyn's, our sister, is involved in this. There's some things that have happened that, and, and you know, it's pretty hard to succeed in this prison business. It's it's not a easy business, a lot of obstacles and uh a lot of difficulties and security and working with a huge government bureaucracy. And so uh, we just keep on plowing and pandemic causes some problems, but we're coming out of that. So. You know, there's really nothing about bridges to life, not to like, it's not PC or one way or the other. It, there's really nothing controversial. It just mm. works. I keep thinking about the environment and the and the sort of community we deal with, and it's very easy to feel stuck. It's you know stuck in I didn't do anything wrong. Like when you when you mentioned John trying to meet with um, the female um, in prison, and she just is like, "Well, I'm not ready to accept or take responsibility." You know, there's sort of that side of being stuck. Um, and you can't really grow or move or find redemption if you're stuck there. But then there's the other stuck. We see 
victims who are stuck, stuck in the anger, stuck in the loss, stuck in the grieving, you know, life can't go on for them. And the fact that you are planting seeds forward, it's almost like you're planting each brick upon which you walk um, and serving others. It's just so beautiful and so remarkable. It's really, there's hope in, in these horrible situations. There are good people in the midst of evil. And we're just so honored and thankful you all are in Houston. And thankful Crime Stoppers had a small role in a in a really, really tragic story. Well, we, we thank you, Rania, and, and all your team, because um, you, you guys are making a huge difference. Yeah, and we're we're even affected still by Crime Stoppers. I don't know if you know, but you're one of or your predecessor, Catherine Cabinets, is on our board. Judge, she used to be, she was Judge Cabinets. And she, yes. had, she had your position for about five years, if I'm not mistaken. She hired me. She okay. hired me. Yes, Great. I interviewed with Catherine, fell in love with her and the organization. That's how I, I joined Crime Stoppers. Uh, awesome. Well, you, I've, I think you do an awesome job and people speak highly of your work and you did a good job of summarizing what we do. Well, we thank you all and uh, encourage people to follow uh, the work John and Helen are doing with Bridges to Life. And, and Helen... Listen, if you got some little ones that need to learn some etiquette, you got to go to Helen. <laughs> yeah, that's, so that, right. that's right. That's My right. My daughter went and did a class with Helen and, and about two weeks later she said, oh, I'm not holding my cup right. And I'm not doing this right. And I said, that's right. That's right. Miss <laughs> Periwinkle. They call well, me Miss per- My students call me Miss Periwinkle for uh, etiquette school. <laughs> I could say one more thing. We constantly need volunteers. We're yes. rebuilding our base, and the biggest surprises to me at Bridges to Life are how big it's gotten and how much the volunteers get out of it. Uh, our website is bridges to life.org, and uh, it's it's a pretty easy process. And just you got to have you got to give your time and you got to have a listening ear and an open heart. But anyway, that would be and great. We will link all that information in the podcast mm-hmm. way to follow, get in touch with, keep in touch okay. with, sign up to be a volunteer. Um, Jen, thank you for connecting the dots on this one. This is fabulous. Helen, excited for your upcoming wedding. Wish you all the best. John, thank you for all you do. And uh, for everybody else, we'll catch you next time on the Balanced Voice Podcast. Take care, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to today's Balanced Conversation. You can find real solutions and tangible resources in our show notes at thebalancevoicepodcast.com. To join the conversation, follow us on Instagram at thebalancevoicepodcast and on Twitter at balancevoice underscore. Stay up to date on Runya's work by following her at the Runya Report. And we can't wait to see you next week for another Balanced Conversation.